I can't change the world that we live in. Episode 5 of the And Why Not Summer of Action Specials 2022, the summer special episodes from the movie podcast from the Nose Who Haunted Themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine, and each episode for this 10-part series, I'm joined by a guest to talk about an 80s or 90s action movie, carefully selected from the long list the guests had to pick from. So far, we've talked Lethal Weapon, Beverly Hills Cop, Cobra and Commando, and still to come, we'll be discussing, in no particular order, Last Action Hero, Out for Justice, and the Nick Cage Holy Trinity of Con Air, Face Off and The Rock. For this episode, though, I'm joined by Rob O'Connor as we bring the 80s actions to a close by heading back to 1988 to discuss the Pierce Brosnan curio, Taffin. I hope you enjoyed the film talk, and as always, and if you feel like doing so, you can keep the conversation going in the comments on our socials and in the And Why Not Facebook group, or wherever you see this episode posted. And now, with an advance warning on spoilers and all the introduction stuff out of the way, let's roll the trailer for Taffin. The syndicate wanted the town, the people, and the land. It seemed so easy. We're asking you for help. But they didn't count on the courage of one man. Got your motor over there? Yeah, I thought so. Who dared to fight back. I think you need a change of scenery. Not till I'm finished here. No, you're finished here. You're just too thick to know it. I need one more service. Make me an offer. You can't take them on, Mark. Not by yourself. This is far more powerful than this. At least it used to be. Pierce Brosnan is Taffin. You're dead. He didn't get mad. He got even. Hello, Rob. How are you? I am very well, Stuart. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, thank you. Chicken on. Uh, survived this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, that gives me a good indication of where we're both at with this, because I wasn't sure if this was something that, uh, you know, you, you have a deep nostalgic affection for. Maybe you do. No, but, the, uh... the beauty of these specials is it doesn't have to be films that people love, just films okay. that people have an opinion on. And um, like I say, I threw this one in as a wild card, so I was really kind of pleased when it got picked. But... But yeah, so um, yeah, I suppose we'll dive into it from there then. So we're talking about the 1988 classic Taffin, classic. Uh, written by David Ambrose, based on the novel by Lyndon Mallet, uh, directed by Francis McGay. Mc, Mc, uh, see, here we go. I'm going to mangle surnames now. Megahy. How, how, how is it spelled? M E G A H Y. M E G A H Y. That that's a weird one. That doesn't even sound Irish. That sounds like it might be Scottish or something. Unless I've typed it up wrong, which is possible. Um, if, we'll if ADR this M- in after. If it's M C G A H Y, then it's Magahi. We'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah. I. You, you can tell I've I've done meticulous research on uh, on on the film for tonight's show. <laughs> See, I mean, I've got an Irish surname, and I'm like an eighth Irish, but that's a bit like all them pricks that came over from America claiming they were descendants of William Wallace after Braveheart came out. So I'm I not going to go waving I've, that around whilst talking about a very Irish movie. 
<laughs> I, I, I need to disclaim up top uh, that this film doesn't really go into the politics of kind of where Ireland was at when it was made, but no. it's, it's a deeply political film for me in many ways. And I might get a little bit geopolitical and I might come across like I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder about my Irishness. Okay. So apologies to anyone who uh, who gets offended, particularly your listeners from the United Kingdom, and and indeed you who are who is from the United Kingdom. So uh, I'm a nomad. I belong to nobody. <laughs> um, right, starring Pierce Brosnan as Taffin, Ray McNally as McAnally, sorry, as O'Rourke, and Alison Doody as Charlotte, making her second of three appearances with a James Bond actor. Uh, released in cinemas on the 26th of February 1988 in the US and the 11th of November 1988 in the UK. Uh, grossed 159,969 Pretty much the film Brosnan chose to do after losing out on the Bond role. Um, from what I could read and the timeline seems to fit. Uh, I do wonder whether he saw this as a potential franchise or yeah, not. It, it, like, it is a series of books. Am I right in saying There's that? There's three like... books, I think, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, it, it, it feels tailor-made. Well, no, certainly not tailor-made, but it, it would have been an interesting kind of vehicle. And the other thing I found interesting was it's MGM and United Artists. Yeah. So I, he's, he's he's still kind of adjacent to, to, to Bond, even if he's not playing James Bond. He's it was of, such a weird thing. It was like that MGM thing, the United Artists thing. And I was like, oh, where's the gun barrel? This feels yeah. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's almost like he was just reminding them, oh, hey guys, I'm 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 right over here, you know. It's it's um, almost like they're like we feel a bit bad about what we did to Brosnan, so chucking Taffin. <laughs> One thing that does come clear from this film for me, on a sort of Bond adjacent side note, is that he was not ready for the role in '86. Yeah, no, absolutely. He, um, he feels very TV actory in this still. I I would argue that he feels very TV actory in some of his James Bond movies, Stuart. <laughs> See, I've, I've got a soft spot for Brosnan. He was the first one I saw at the cinema. He wasn't my first Bond, but he was the first Bond I saw at the cinema. And I quite like Brosnan in certain films. I think he got mm. better um, as he went along. Uh, I don't think he had the scripts to back him up, really, as Bond. Um, and I'll always love the Thomas Crown Affair. So yeah, I'll I... give him that. But yeah, he just... Um, I think doing this and then a series of straight-to-DVD or video action movies... In the run up to Bond, probably did him set him in good stead, and he was the right man come '95. I think he was the popular choice. As much as I love mm. Dalton, would have seen, loved to see Dot come back. I, I don't think it was the right time to relaunch the franchise. With, I mean, now you have the Daniel Craig gaps. Yeah. Which... Well, geez. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I basically agree with everything you said. I, I also grew up a Pierce Brosnan. First Bond movie I ever saw in the cinema was The World Is Not Enough. Very fond memories of it. Um, and and I I do I should say up front I I love every actor who has played James yeah, Bond in the, in the official series. Um, I, I I don't have much to say about you know David Niven or the guy from the Casino Royale Barry Nelson from the Barry Nelson yeah, but yeah no I I do technically love every actor who but if I had to choose my least favorite it would be Pierce Brosnan for for a number of reasons first of all. He's the only one that people of a certain age seem to be familiar with at all. Yeah. So, like, lots of people in America, for example, 
seem to only be aware of James Bond because of the GoldenEye game and the, the, the film. And, and they've never seen anything else of James Bond related. So that's the first thing that frustrates me about Bridgman. Second thing, you mentioned TV actor there. I don't think Pierce Brosnan's a very good actor. <laughs> and it feels like blasphemous to say as an Irish man, because he's one of our, like, you know, proudest exports, the fact that there's an Irish guy who played James Bond. But that's the other thing. Pierce Brosnan isn't really very Irish. Like, no, his off. Irish accent is this is questionable at times as well. Oh my goodness, Stuart. His Irish accent. It's, I, I think I described it as like, you know, for an Irish man, he, he sure sounds like he's from London by way of Brooklyn. Like he doesn't even really have an English accent. It's this, it's this kind of weird hodgepodge of different places and different times, depending on what day of the week it is. And I think I'll have a pint and like, everything just sounds a little bit contrived coming out of his mouth. Um, and I, I, he, he does, in fairness to him, he is very proud of his Irish heritage. Whenever people ask him about his British charm or, you know, any of this kind of thing, he always quickly, you know, corrects them and says, no, actually, actually, I'm Irish and I'm very proud of it. And his production company, I think it's called Irish Dream Time. Irish Dream Time, yeah. Um, so, so he is technically proud of it, but I think he's proud of it in the way that, like, Irish Americans are proud of their Irish heritage. Yeah. Like, he loves he loves to boast about it, even though he never comes here, and you know doesn't doesn't really, like, you know he he doesn't really like. I remember at the MTV Movie Awards one time he was presenting an award and he referred to uh, someone as being a wee a bonny wee lassie or something like that, and I was like, what the hell? Like no Irish person ever has said the word lassie. It is made up. It is a thing that an American person decided we say. The same with top of the morning to you, lucky charms, all that stuff. It's stuff that Americans made up. We don't do any of that. Hang on, I just need to edit my script. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, I'm, I'm totally rambling now, but like to segue into this film, it feels like it was written by an English screenwriter with an American audience in mind. Very, very few. No one actually sounds in this film like an Irish person. The, the dialogue is completely Englandified. <laughs> and, it's... you know, the, 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 the key plot device is this quote-unquote sports field. <laughs> I have never in my life heard someone refer to something as a sports field. It is a pitch. A I was going to say, it's the football pitch, pitch isn't it? Whether you play football cricket on pitch. it or whatever, it's the football pitch. It's the ga pitch. And that's what they're playing, by the way. They're playing hurling, which is yeah. a Gaelic sport. So that, w- that would be what we call a ga pitch. Ga stands for the Gaelic Athletic Association. Hurling is allegedly the fastest field game in the world. It, it's, it's a beautiful game. I'm doing a program about it at the moment. Definitely check it out if you're not familiar with it. It's, it's fascinating. But in this film, they refer to it as the sports field. Yeah, it's it feels very much like the Tim Burton Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, where Charlie keeps referring to it as candy, like your English you prick. <laughs> and 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 again, that that's something Brosnan is guilty of in his Bond films. Like he kind of Americanizes everything. Like um, I think there's a bit in Tomorrow Never Dies, which by the way is my favorite Brosnan. Bond. I love I Tomorrow like Never it. Dies. Again, I really think that's when he relaxes into it. Everybody rates Goldeneye, but I find that film has a weird smugness to it that it has not earned yet. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. I think Goldeneye has like really lofty ambitions that it doesn't really 
do anything with like it's obsessed with saying oh you know is bond relevant in the modern day and then they kind of ask that question a lot of times and then don't really answer it <laughs> like they kind of just coast by on a, on a james bond film for the rest of the movie um whereas i think tomorrow never dies is you know it sets its sights lower but it, it hits every target you yeah know? it's just it's just this fun 90s movie where rupert murdoch is a villain and you know he's kind of doing or pierce brosnan's kind of doing roger moore 2.0 and it's all fine terry hatcher's there michelle yo's kicking ass there's and, and david arnold's score in that movie is fucking unbelievable it's so yeah good. i mean why he's still not doing bond scores but again that's different although hans zimmer did the last bond score and he also was the co-scorer on this film which is also oh bizarre goodness. I, but the point I was making though is in Tomorrow Never Dies I think Brosnan has this line where he goes next time I'll take the elevator even though nobody on this side of the Atlantic Ocean says elevator it's a lift it's a lift Pierce yeah it's these weird concessions the American market isn't it the but yeah it's gone off course sorry I'm going to be doing my Pierce Brosnan impression constantly in this um, speaking of his voice there's a really weird bit of ADR that's clearly not Brosnan what the heck is that? And they when the three kids, he won't help. Where he says, "I won't help you, but I'll tell you what to do." It's like it's not Brosnan. <laughs> I had to yeah, rewind it a couple of times, but thought you might see him for us. <laughs> You're big lads. You should be able to take care of this situation yourselves. Yeah, we tried, but he's got a couple of heavies working for We've him. We got nowhere. We'll pay you. You wouldn't be able to afford me. Come on, lads. Wait a minute. I won't help you, but I'll tell you what to do. It, it goes from classic Pierce in the corner of the room and he's like, wait a second, don't leave just yet. And then it cuts to this weird kind of like, I'm not going to help you, but I'll tell you what to do if you listen closely. And it sounds, it, it's, it's, it's really bizarre. It sounds like they were just like, you know, just, just ADR it's... this line. We can't get Pierce back. So. <laughs> Jeff, you do it. Oh, I, I get, I, I guarantee that's what happened. Yeah. Pierce Brosnan, I'd say what happened there was he had to go back to LA and they were like, no, 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 Pierce, we need you to do some looping. And he was like, well, if you want me to do looping, you can pay me for it. And and because he's he's quite, um, he's he's that's another thing about Pierce Brosnan I've discovered over the years. Um, he's quite, what's the word? Um, like everything comes at a price with him. Like they, they wanted him to do reshoots for some Robinson Crusoe movie. So he demanded that they give him a Porsche, which he then got, apparently. And then when he was doing Die Another Day... Oh, he demanded this deal with Aston, Aston Martin, Martin, didn't he? And he demanded an Aston Martin, and then he got it. And it's like... He, he no longer has it. He lost it in a fire, didn't he? <laughs> oh, what a, what a pit. What a pit do, Mr. Bond. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm really going on a, on, a, on a kind of crusade against... Like, he, he's a perfectly nice man. You know, he's done a lot of good, but... Um, I just find him to be a really smug, kind of pretentious, embarrassing dad in almost everything he's in, and this is like the this is the this is like the centerpiece of all of that. Like he's throughout this entire film, it feels like he's looking at the camera saying, "Don't I just absolutely rule?" Everyone Weird thing so with this is you're like Patrick Bergen movie. is right there. <laughs> Patrick Bergen, it would have been amazing as Patrick Bergen. He would have been great, and he would have been he like he would have actually believably been this you know Wicklow folk hero. Like that's the other thing about Pierce Brosnan, right? He left 
Navan County Meath, I think. Was it Navan County Meath or I can't I think he was born in Limerick and then he grew up in Navan and he left there when he was like ten and he went to London and I, I always say that like he, he was polished in the UK. He got his accent, he got his, his acting chops, he got his look, and then he went to the he, he went to America and he got that gloss, that American kind of gloss. And when he came back here, he wasn't Irish anymore. He doesn't yeah. look anything like the rest of these people. He's He's cut out of marble. He's one of the most beautiful people who ever lived. And you, you, you could put a burlap sack on Pierce Brosnan and you would want to have sex with him. And, you know, whereas Patrick Bergen looks like a guy who drinks Guinness every day. Well, yeah, because allegedly uh, Lyndon Mallet wasn't pleased with Brosnan's casting. He felt he was too too pretty to play the part. That it's yeah, supposed to I, be somebody who's ugly. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to look like an old Irish point man or something. Is it? Yeah. Taffin is old in the book, isn't he? I believe so. Yeah, I've not read the book. I've only sort of looked at the synopsis on Goodreads. I think it was, but um, yeah, Brosnan just never feels comfortable playing the rough and tough hero. He's very good at doing the smooth. I mean, mm. you look at him in Bond, like you know, he's tailored into those outfits. Apart from the yeah. shirt he wears in Tomorrow Never Dies, which looks weirdly tailored but also baggy at the same time. But as he's supposed to have grabbed it on the street. <laughs> I, I I often wonder as well with his Bond performances. I feel like the best Pierce Brosnan performance, like you mentioned, Thomas Crown Affair. There, that's that's a solid movie. But yeah. I often wonder, you know, is is a lot of his more successful performances? Is it one of those things where it came together in the edit and they used the best takes, where where he kind of toned it down a bit, and maybe when he's working with a director who's able to really get a natural performance out of him, whereas with yeah. Bond. He I think if he's got more. a bit more control over it as well, because he's very good in the Matador, and um, I really yeah. like him in the Taylor of Panama as well. I think when he's playing against type, I was just going to say that in the Matador he's playing against type. He was in that Nick Hornby movie, Long Way Down. Yeah, quite quite good in that. And then do you know what? I think he's pretty good in Mamma Mia. Like the whole point of him in Mamma Mia is that he's supposed to send himself up, and yeah. he's supposed to sing really badly, just like your relatives who sing really badly when everyone's drunk and ABBA comes on, you know, at the Christmas party or whatever. He's not good, but I've heard a lot worse renditions of SOS. He's not good, but I feel like the point of that movie was that it was supposed to be like this believable, relatable performances of all yeah. the songs, rather than just everyone being amazing. Although admittedly, Meryl Streep and um, Amanda Seyfried are amazing, but everybody else is kind of just okay. And I sort of, I kind of like that about those movies. More so the first one, I did like, I've still not seen the second one, to be honest. I felt we'd said all we needed to say with the first one. We did. <laughs> it's a, but, yeah, I mean, this film sort of marketed itself as an action movie. Um, almost like an Irish roadhouse kind of thing. Which is interesting because it came out a year before Roadhouse. Yeah. Um, but it just, I mean, by way of an ITV minder type show i felt when i was watching it i was like if, if they'd have given like you know minder just that little bit more budget they could have got away with this but the action is incredibly flat and very itv like I say when he's getting beaten up it cuts away a lot yeah the the the, the, the that was another thing i was you know when i was talking about the, the editing in those bond movies and thomas cranifer pierce brosnan just looks embarrassing when he's when he's fighting in this movie and I, they're just choreographed really strangely and he just looks like this weird really tall kind of scarecrow just sort of hobbling around throwing his big flailing limbs at people i do um, like that in the first flight 
where he's a uh, you're making me nervous yeah. lads <laughs> Are and I can do that because my accent is just as bad as his. <laughs> I, I, I've actually written down, I think in that scene alone, the word heavies is used. Which yeah. Has just never been uttered in the Republic of Ireland. And, and also... <laughs> I don't think it's been uttered what, anywhere, has it? Outside of the 30s gangsters. The 30s gangster movies, yeah. And and then someone says, uh, what are these jokers looking for? Or something like that. And you're like, what? No. The point you made about it being an action movie, right? I, I kind of have mixed feelings about this. Obviously, rural Ireland is not the ideal, you know, premise or location for an action movie. But I think I think there's something interesting you could do there. Like, and I think a lot of what this film attempts to do with, you know, the, the whole small town mentality and the, the kind of contemporary Western vibe. Like, the, there is an interesting movie to be made there. But I think the problem is you need actors and dialogue that can pull it all off. And I think Roadhouse obviously has that. Yeah. There are other kind of similar, like small town kind of, you know, contemporary Western type things that, that, that do pull that off. And I think even something like The Guard with Brendan Gleeson, did you see that? Yes. Yeah, I love that film. Like, that's really, really good, you know. Um, and, and there you know, there isn't there isn't many kind of big action beats in that, but it's a, it's a similar kind of plot, you know. Whereas this, it, what I find so ironic about this is there are so many Father Ted's actors in this film. <laughs> Well, there's Father Jack. There's Father Ted. There's Father Todd Unctious is in this. Like, yeah. And this is exactly the kind of overly earnest action movie cliche that Father Ted would constantly make fun of. Like, there's a scene where there's a car chase and a tractor gets in the way, and everyone's taking it completely seriously. They're like, "Oh, get that tractor out of the way!" That is that is 100 a Father Ted joke. You'd cut to you know Tommy in the tractor. You know, I know. I want to see this edited with like Dougal in the milk float. <laughs> Dougal in the milk float. Yeah. Um. That that's it's, actually it's the very definition of low octane, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, um. But there's a way to make that good. But like, you know, speaking of Father Ted actors, you you probably won't be familiar with Fair City. It's it's our kind of homegrown uh, soap. It's an in-house production made by RTE, which is Radio Telefigere, and it's the Irish equivalent of the BBC and it's it's known for being you know cheap and cheerful the, the acting is not it's not Shakespeare okay but uh so many fair city actors are, are in this as well uh the, the guy who plays the main sort of quote-unquote villain the, the 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 least threatening mob enforcer we've ever seen he's from fair city uh there's a guy called Dave Duffy who uh plays a character in Leo from fair city and he plays a character called Dave in this. That that was easy. Um, and there, there's a bunch of just faces that you recognize. The 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 guy the the lady who plays Todd Unctious's um, uh, girlfriend in one scene. She is a really really famous um, kind of singer slash panto queen. She goes by the name Twink. She's like people of a certain generation would be, you know, that she's massive like. Um, and she has one scene in this. I'm trying to think who else did I spot? Um, yeah, so like it, it is obviously Frank Kelly you mentioned. Um, Patrick Bergen. Like Patrick Bergen buries his face in a stripper's boobs at a time when like condoms were kind of only technically legal in this country. So, you know, Ireland was a just desperately Catholic country for decades and decades and decades. Or or we're still dealing with the ramifications of that. I won't go into it now. But to think that, you know, this movie had the hubris to suggest that, like, there were strippers in small towns 
who did these like hands-on lap dances i i just find that baffling and mesmerizingly like (laughs) this was not happening in ireland and if it was you know that there would have been outrage about it um i i find that so funny it's it's one of those things that feels like it's in there just for the action movie cliche isn't it Totally, yeah. It's, it's, like, it's not it's an action like, movie oh, unless you end up in a strip club. <laughs> he, he, you know, here's our cool dive bar, like it's, you know, New Orleans or whatever it is. But um, yeah, no, totally. Just it, it, And, you know, it's okay to have a heightened reality. Like that's so, you know, you can make a universe where people don't speak like they do in real life. They don't look or dress like they do in real life. That's all fine. But you need to pull it off. <laughs> yeah. And like, I feel like the only people in this movie that really, you know, pull off their performance i think ray McAnally is actually really really good in this yeah um he, he's a good actor in other stuff he's in movies with like robert de niro and so like he's 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 a pretty legit actor um and i think he's pretty good in this even though he he's, plays he's got that great a, scene with brosnan hasn't he in his loft when he first goes to see him yeah and and he he sort of talks about the the seminary and and the priests like they're the jedi council a bit yeah um which which again it it can be a touch problematic in in sort of as as a lapsed catholic watching the movie you know uh it's it's weird kind of going back to an era where everyone in ireland thought that you know the catholic church was just this ultimate force for good that could do no (laughs) wrong like um the the the, if you if you if you look up the, the magdalene laundries they were still very much up and running when when this film came out uh that they were basically laundries run by the nuns and women of sin uh would be sent there so like women you know as young as kind of 13 or 14 if they did anything that was considered to be you know not great in the eyes of church they'd be sent to these magdalene laundries and they'd basically just live live out the rest of their days there and it was it was horrific it was horrible what they did um but they were still open in in the time that this movie came out in irish cinemas wherein Patrick Bergen buries his face in his boobs. So it's 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 fascinating. I, I do kind of hate this film in so many ways, but I'm also so grateful that it exists because it's so weird, man. I, yeah, I have such a weird mixed thing with it where I'm, I'll watch it like, this is shit, but I'm also really enjoying it for its shitness. I mean, yes. I, I don't even remember when I first saw it. It must have been, I want to say it must have been on telly, like the BBC or Channel 4 or something like that. But at the same Channel time, I've got five, no probably. Yeah, I've got no recollection of ever actually seeing it. Like watching it again, I was like, "This is all very familiar." But I get the feeling it might be one of those ones that was passed around sixth form. But you got to see this film. Yeah. But it's such, yeah, it's such if, a if weird feels, movie. If it, it's that perfect example of like, "Hey, mom, can we get the new Pierce Brosnan movie in the in the video shop?" No, we have Pierce Brosnan movies at home. Pierce Brosnan <laughs> movie at home is taffing. <laughs> No, I want to watch Dante's Peak. It's, it's like if you ordered a Bond film off of Wish. <laughs> yeah, and you just get the, you know, Casino Royale TV movie or the the 60s spoof one or whatever. <laughs> or Never Say Never Again. I High octane scene in which a toilet explodes. <laughs> Man, it's... imagine if they'd made that other Kevin McClory. Like, you know the way Kevin McClory was constantly trying to make another like thunderball remake yeah <laughs> and like there was rumors that dalton was coming back and there was rumors that he was going to get sean connery back again or that sean connery was going to be a villain like and then it, it 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 went as long it went as far as like after daniel craig was cast he was talking about getting pierce Boston back imagine if he'd made that i remember the 
around Brosnan time. Before Rain Tron ever dies, they're on about bringing it back with Dalton. Which I was like, I love Dalton, but that's a surprising choice to go with. Just because yeah. at the time he wasn't a well loved Bond. Actually, I loved him, but he was very much the unfashionable choice. I absolutely love Dalton, and I think what let him down was the budgets weren't what they needed to be, and the way they styled him in the movies is just wrong. Just that, that hair in License to Kill is a sin. Yeah, I mean, I love License to Kill. Um, I love License to it's, Kill. It's one of my favourite Bonds, but it does have made-on-a-TV set kind of feel to it. With Dalton, I think the cinematography as well, if you look at, like... License to Kill, which again is like a top three Bond movie for me. I absolutely love it. But like there's scenes in that where Sanchez is talking to his cronies and it's just a locked off, like wide shot, never moves. It looks like a 70. It looks like an episode of Columbo. <laughs> like, and then then you go to Goldeneye and it just looks like this lavish, slick movie with all these moves. And it's, it you know, it looks like far more of a modern movie. And I yeah. Think that, that really helped Brosnan. And like, there's all these really sexy close-ups of his face and his eyes, and you know, he gets all these great suits, and he looks amazing. Whereas Dalton, you know, poor old John Glenn, he was kind of like, oh, just, just, just get some clothes on him, okay? Just, just. It's weird because John Glenn considers that his best film. I think it is John Glenn. It's like, best and film. there's some absolutely stunning shots in it, but yeah. there's also stuff you're like, you know, did we just grab B-roll from Miami Vice? I think John Glenn loved shooting amazing action film uh, yeah. amazing action scenes and some of the best action scenes are in the john glenn bond films but yeah. i don't think he was as skilled at shooting dialogue or character kind of moments and stuff like that i think all that kind of came from dalton himself and yeah um, yeah because i mean that was the film they sort of they didn't have the best relationship on that one from everything that i've read okay really i didn't know was, that that's interesting it was a uh, i mean it depends which thing you read i think the official line is that everybody got on swimmingly yeah. And that way the Eon likes to have their own version of things. But various things I've read, I know that they butted heads on certain things. Well, that's interesting. Because, yeah, like, I, I do wonder if John Glenn had directed Pierce Brosnan, I think it would have been a Taffin-type thing. I, th I think he would have just let him do anything. And it, whereas I think Martin Campbell is is actually kind of a skilled actor's director. Like, yeah. Brosnan's performance in GoldenEye is different to the performances he gives in the other three films. And definitely, yeah, I, I don't think Brosnan had any real control over his bond. He did what they wanted him to do, and yeah, I think he always said that things like November Man and Taylor of Panama and Thomas Crown Affair was what he wanted to do with Bond. I don't, but think, I don't think November Man is very good. I know, I know people, sort of I've only it. seen it once, and I honestly couldn't tell you what happens in it. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen a scene in it where he's threatening someone, and I'm just like, oh. Pierce, what are you doing? It's just, it's it's classic kind of Brosnan over-egging it. And do you ever notice he does this thing with his hands? He's always hand acting. Like, oh, his hand acting in this film is atrocious. Like he's, it's like, proper rude, theatrical. Rude, the way he sits in the chair when he's considering the three guys offer and he's like this. And then he sort of pulls his hand away. It's like, I'm, wait. The, the, the listeners can't see. We're, 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 it's, it's like we're kind of like pulling spaghetti out of a bowl or something. It's just, <laughs> yeah, a lot, lot of hand acting. It's like in Harry Potter when they pull the thing, the memory out of the mind. Yes. He hasn't got a wand, he's just using his hand. But I will say again, I, I am a fan of a lot of Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. Like you couldn't you couldn't not be. Like and he's he's great in Mars Attacks as well, actually. That was another one yeah. I mentioned. Again, totally like not playing to type in that one. He's brilliant. He's yeah. great in Dante's Peak as well, but I don't think for the reason that 
he possibly thinks he is. I think because he seems to be playing it so straight. Yeah. It, it, it's almost good fun. Still entranced by the same old intellectual baubles, I see. And you'd still sooner bend the knee than stretch the mind. Well, it's certainly the library of a man still looking for the truth. Isn't that a lifelong search? No. Not if you have the good fortune to discover a simple faith. Still look. Grace is there, Mark. Like soft falling rain. Uh, those rigid ideas that you used to teach us. Rigid, to now there's a word we might debate. Mm. But would we say anything new? Probably not. You know, while the rest of them are writing down everything we told them, you just kept on asking questions. Did you dislike us so much? I liked you. I listened. I tried. They were all well-meaning men. Well, all except Father James. Hmm. Poor Father James. They sent him off to some very remote mission, you know. Oh. He was said to be doing wonders, bringing the Lord's word to the people of uh, Gambia. And you, Mark, even when you left, it was commonly agreed that you would do something useful with your life. Yes, well, the people of Gambia will survive without my services. Oh, I'm sorry. They'll never know what they missed. About you? I'm doing what I can, you know. You know better than what you're doing. Like you say, it's fairly low stakes in this, certainly initially, because they want they want to save the the, uh, the sports field. <laughs> to save the sports field. And, and it, from, it is... from being used to build a road. It's fascinating because this is something that does happen, like, as I'm sure you can imagine, this happens in Ireland all the time. Like, yeah. companies come in and they, they try to bulldoze over, you know, uh, GAA pitches. There, there's one only down the road from me, and they did successfully uh, lobby against, they, they were going to run the rail line in such a way that it was going to go over the, the, the GAA pitch, and they, they managed to, to lobby against that. But then there's other ones that were, they, they, ha they have a hope. And, I, like, I love that, uh, you know, in this film... Like, it's a serious threat that the local villagers decide to mount a protest. And the, you know, the, the evil chemical plant company, they take this so seriously and they're like, oh, we can't let them stage it. What are they going to do? They're going to stand <laughs> in the village and wave their little placard. It's not going to do anything. Like, it's, it was a weird hill to die on, wasn't it, for them? Yeah. And it, for me, it just, I mentioned kind of, you know, the, the geopolitics and the economic snapshot and all that. For me, it foreshadows you know, so much of what happened to Ireland very soon after this film. So for anyone who doesn't know, Ireland was technically a third world country in the 80s. Like we were dirt poor and we, we, we were always dirt poor. We never had any money. And then suddenly in the 90s, through a combination of, you know, fiscally conservative um, uh, political parties and lots and lots of dirty dealings, we there was a huge unprecedented economic boom the likes of which had never been seen before and basically uh everybody had money all of a sudden and it was just totally out of control like at one point ireland was had the highest helicopter ownership per capita in the world that's like that's how wealthy we were and it got to the point where you know like we're the perfect we're the poster child of why kind of trickle down economics doesn't work in the long run it led to a huge kind of wealth disparity and like multiple recessions and obviously the huge kind of economic downturn and all that sort of stuff but for you know 
the 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 parties that that led that caused all of this are still in power and they're they're that classic kind of thing where any time a big multinational comes to town they will just roll over like a silly little dog and say oh off you go don't mind us and like you know for example like starbucks this is getting crazy now i'll, I'll stop in a second but <laughs> starbucks um at one stage they were just opening branches without planning permission <laughs> like they were just coming in buying the lot and just building like nonstop. So it, you know, and this is kind of what they're doing in Taffin. <laughs> like, but the difference is in Taffin, Pierce Brosnan in a leather jacket and a, and a flat cap can stop them. Whereas in real life, we don't have anyone like Mark Taffin. Well, you know why that is? It's because Taffin leaves at the end. Yeah, yeah. If the townspeople had treated him better, he would have stopped all of it. <laughs> and that's probably the truest kind of, um depiction of like rural irish society in the film is just how quickly the townspeople turn on their own uh you know it's, it's high noon isn't it yeah totally. they even have a high noon poster behind him in his flat in his loft and and the, the way he gets barred from the pub like that that is absolutely tragically something that probably would happen here <laughs> after a minor scandal you know uh, so I'll give them that, you know. Maybe, maybe that was in the book, one of the things that survived from the source material. Uh, I do like how quickly they're... It's like that thing in soap operas where they suddenly bring in a character that turns one character against everybody that they've known all their lives. But it's just kind of like, yeah, there's this big dirty corporation, but we're willing to believe that Taffin burnt this guy's house down with him still in it. Yeah. <laughs> so is the implication that that man is actually dead or... Like I've seen the movie twice now, and there's a lot of the lot of elements of the plot that sort of still don't quite connect for me. Like, is, is that guy dead, or did he stage the burning of his own house? I think he's dead because they bring a body bag out, don't they? Because I wondered whether it was he'd done it and it was his wife. But um, I okay. yeah, I think the you know the guy Taffin shoots at the end. Um, yeah, I think he arranged for the house to be burnt down with him in it. I'm ninety percent sure that where Taffin shoots the guy at the end is about it, it's it's about a five minute drive from where I currently work. It's uh, Sandy Mount Beach. I think you can see the pool bag towers in the background, so I think that's where that is. Um, the, 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 I, I mentioned the kind of who's who at the start of this. This is also a where's where of kind of like <laughs> local kind of you know. There's a lot of Wicklow in this, which I wouldn't be as familiar with, but there's also a lot of Dublin, like. Um, for example, the Brock Inn, which is the, 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 the place where Taffin has the fight at the start of the movie. The Brock Inn is five minutes from where I'm recording right now. And when we were watching the movie, my girlfriend turned to me and went, that's the Brock Inn. My dad has his lunch there most days. And I was like, oh, my God, we've got to go there tomorrow. And we did. I was going to say, if, if I'm not seeing photos online of you cosplaying as Taffin in all the locations, I, if you can tomorrow. get the big mullety wig as well. Yeah. Like I, I literally stood and and the um the, the, the there's kind of like a cobbled arch uh, like obviously it's changed a lot in you know thirty two years or whatever it is since the movie came out but the, there's a cobbled arch that is exactly the same and um it's still called the Brock Inn and also that there's a, in the movie I think it's a beamish sign in nowadays it's it's again a sign kind of uh, out to the side of it so. Yeah, we went there the very next day and we, we weren't able to go inside though because it was jam-packed and it, this was still kind of in um, semi-serious COVID time. So we, we, we were kind of thinking if, if we can avoid going into this, you know, packed place, we, we, we will. But 
Other places in the movie, uh, Sandy Mount Beach, I mentioned Dunleary, which is literally where I work. The 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 pier where um, Taffin and Ray McAnally and a few people have that important meeting later on. That's uh, that's that's literally you know two minutes walk from my office. Um, where else? The, the, there's the 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 really sinister building um where one of the evil uh british people is is has his office that 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 i believe is the irish life building that looks at the sip2 building which is our only tall building in dublin so that's why they use that um trying to think what else is in there there's there's lots of um lots of lovely wicklow locations that are still there i looked up philip healy's bar uh which is the bar that taffin comes out of and then gets beaten up outside of that is still there in Wicklow and it's still called Philip Healy's. Um, I think that that's kind of all the ones that are coming to me. I'm sure I'll think of something else. But on the subject of locations, what like one of the funniest things that happens in the first two minutes of this movie is the 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 implication that Taffin has his office in this kind of derelict building that's completely exposed to the elements. And uh, there's no roof there, you know, the, the, there's no uh, door or anything like that. You can just w- walk in. It rains 300 days a year in this country and it's always cold. Always. You would never dream of, of putting like pens and paper and like leather bound books in this ridiculous old shack that, you know, is completely. I, I just, what is he doing? It's, that's got that weird thing as well when he's talking to the three guys or is it the guy who comes to him the first time? Where he stands in the archway and it looks like he's got it looks like blue screen yeah with a projected background but it looks too crisp i wonder whether it's like an old 80s neighbor's job when they used to open the front door and it was just a painted background behind i i love those off guys. the street i love those guys as well though because they're so um the term i would use for them is wet and yeah <laughs> they're just so kind of wimpy kind of goofy looking dudes and then one of them chimes up and goes we started a rock band and the, the movie is trying to pretend that these are like badass you know rock and roll guys but they just look so kind of nerdy and goofy and you know god bless them i'm sure they were working with what they had but like nobody in this film is cast well <laughs> except ray mcanally everyone and and to be fair alison duty um is 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 doing what alison duty does in this film and, yeah and, you know you can't fault her i do like that they explain that you know she is a well-traveled kind of worldly individual because let me tell you something i've been to wicklow many times and it's rare that you'd run into someone that looks like alison duty in in kind of this gonna run down pub in in wicklow like it, it just that there's plenty of very beautiful women in wicklow but not alison duty level this reminds me of a loft i once stayed in in new york yeah. Ever been to New York, Tatham? I haven't. Paris? Uh-uh. London? Yeah. But we're not going through the whole atlas, are we? No. Mm. But I just wonder what a man like you is doing in a place like this. Oh, well. What's a girl like you doing in a place like this? That's easy. I met this guy in a plane coming back from Oslo. Ah, oh, Oslo. That's another place I haven't been to. Yeah? I'll tell you why I went there later. He was a pilot. Anyway, we decided to have a holiday together, driving around Ireland. But things didn't work out between us. We had a fight. 
He jumped into the car and drove off with most of my stuff. And Les from the snooker hall saw the whole thing, offered me a job. I was broke, so I took it. Ah. Cemeteries are full of girls who took it because they were broke. Cemeteries and marriages. Now, what's your story? Ah, uh, my story. Wow, this is my hometown. I don't need a story. I was born here. I went to school here. I like it here. There's work, good booze, and every now and then a beautiful girl drops in from Oslo. I, I love that they don't fuck around with them two getting together as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, very much. He beats a couple of guys up that she works for, and then straight away she's like, yeah, here's the keys to my place, come back later. No, and no. then unnecessary shirt ripping. N not to keep dropping kind of names and things like that, but Alison Duty grew up across the road from my mum. So, like, she, she knew her, like, fairly well. Like, they weren't friends or anything like that, but she knew her to see. I think she knew her sister very well. So, like, it, it was it was a big deal in the local community when she sort of hit big. And, you know, I, I know she was in, like, four seconds of A View to a Kill. And then, obviously, Last Crusade, she's she's very good in that. Like, and then she's... I had the biggest crush on her in Last Crusade. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and then, you know, she's in this as well. I, I think, I, I'm going to assume she married a very... She married the son of a very wealthy media baron. Um, so, Tony O'Reilly, who owns Communicore, who... They're kind of a semi-controversial um, media conglomerate, but his son is was Alan Duty's Alison Duty's uh, husband for a long time. So I'm guessing what might have happened is that she married Rich and just said, "Right, don't need to act anymore." Yeah, because she's not done much really since, has she? She is really, she is really, really good. I, I was at a Martin Scorsese. Um, Martin Scorsese came here uh, about five or six years ago and did this Q and A thing. And uh, it was really, really good. And there was loads of kind of like famous faces there and stuff. And and she was there. And um, a few friends of mine kind of, I think that, I think they may have approached her and asked for a photo. I can't remember if she said yes or not. But by all accounts, she was, she was lovely. Um, she's still ravishing. And yeah, they 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 were delighted to meet her. Yeah. Yeah, she's um. I mean, it's it's a fairly thankless role in this film, but I think she does the best with it. She's largely there to get screamed at, which I suppose brings us on to the iconic, well, maybe you shouldn't be living here, <laughs> you know, Will made famous by Adam and Joe on their podcast. Will we recite it for the listeners, Stuart? I, I don't think I could do it justice, but I, I'm willing to let you dust off your, uh, your Brosnan. Hang on, you're taking a run up. <laughs> I, I, I'm moving away from the microphone because if, I, if I'm going to give it socks, then I, I don't want it to peak, right? So... Um... <laughs> What goes on in this town is none of your business. As long as I'm living here, it's my business. Not many of you shouldn't be living here! <laughs> that sound you just heard was my door closing. My girlfriend has just left me, so. <laughs> I mean, it's just, like I say, I mean, that's just such a bizarre line reading. It's the fact it cuts off his same business as well. Mm. It gets bizzed out, and, and it's uh, it's an edit in the film. It's it, you know, for so many years, all this film was was that clip. Like it's yeah. it's all I I I you know for years I I only saw this relatively recently. I saw it. Um, I think we finally got together and watched it last summer, 
and then I watched it again a second time last night. But prior to that, all I knew about the film was that clip. And like watching the film the first time, I was like, oh my God, Patrick Bergen is also there while he's doing this. <laughs> for like for years watching the clip, I only ever saw Brosnan and Alison Dewey. Like I say, it was the Adam and Joe podcast or radio show where they discussed Taffin and then they did that scene and then they did a remix of that line. They basically extended it even further. Oh, I have seen that. Yeah, that's very, very good. And so that was what brought Taffin back into the public conscience. What goes on in this town is none of your business. As long as I'm living here, it is. Then maybe you shouldn't be living here! Probably did more publicity for the film than they had at the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing, like, it's so crazy that I wasn't aware growing up that there was this movie that Pierce Brosnan made with all these fairly reputable Irish actors, you know, in Ireland. Like it's and yeah. it's it's effectively an action movie. Like I would have enjoyed watching this as a kid, and yet you kind of just never really hear heard about it growing up. Like I, maybe it's just the age I was. Maybe maybe if I was ten years older, it would have been a big thing. But uh, yeah, like it's. It's 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 just it's surreal that it exists, and there are other like I should say that th there are some severely B B movies um, that were made in Ireland. Uh, like, have you ever heard of a film called Fatal Deviation? No. Oh wow, Stuart! Oh my goodness! Yeah, you've got to watch. Like, Fatal Deviation was this. Uh, it was the only martial arts um, kung fu movie to be made exclusively in Trim County Meath in Ireland. Basically, this bodybuilder kind of uh, kickboxing fanatic called Jimmy Bennett decided that he wanted to be the next Jean-Claude Van Damme. So he wrote, produced and directed his own Kung Fu action movie entirely in his hometown and used all the locals. And it is as brilliantly bad as, as it sounds. Mikey Graham from, and I quote, the rock band Boyzone plays one of the main <laughs> villains in it. And it, it's like there's scenes with Mikey Graham in that film where it's as if they only had him for a weekend. So they shot all of his scenes and then got all the other actors on another day and shot them in a different location. It's it's one of my favorite bad movies ever made. And it's an absolute bad movie masterpiece. There's also, I'm going to check that out. Be aware that this may be a future episode. I, I would watch that tonight, Stuart, if you can. I know you're up early in the morning. Watch it tonight. It's it's a masterpiece of badness. But th th there's also a string of Roger Corman movies that were made here for some reason. And there's one with Don the Dragon Wilson called Moving Target, where uh, Don the Dragon Wilson has a six pack of Beamish with nuclear detonators in it. And a bunch of bad guys are trying to, you know, take them off him and whatever. But that one was filmed exclusively in Galway. And um, it's it's a little bit more legitimate than Fatal Deviation, like in insofar as it, it's an actual film made by a production yeah. company. Um, but it is, it's still so bad, it's good. Whereas, you know, Taffin, by comparison, I would say is, like, it's low budget, but it's it's not really a B-movie. Like, it, it's kind of a legitimate film, like... Well, yeah, it's got, a, you know, United Artists were a big deal. It's an MGM big deal at the time as well. And it, it had no, a US was... release, like, a theatrical US release. Like, it was... Well, yeah, it got released in the US before we even had it, which... <laughs> it's... I mean, I'm, I say that the action in that feels flat. Maybe that's a hindsight thing. Mm. I, I can't help but think that even at the time, people would have been like, it's a bit. It feels like the perfect Saturday night TV. You know, we can't afford to get the latest Harrison Ford. What's yeah. cheap we can chuck on on a Saturday night in the middle of the summer? 
Like, more about Taffin. Yeah, I'll do. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it feels like it was made, like, it, it. the script feels like a film from the 50s or the 60s, and it was just 20, you know, 25 years too late, and the, the performances are all a little bit off. But, like, I, 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 again, I admire the idea that they were trying to create this kind of heightened reality, you know, action adventure western type thing i keep calling it a western by the way wicklow is on the well, it, like I say it's because it's, it's high noon isn't it yeah, pretty much the exact same story or slight variation it's not villains coming to town it's well it is yeah. villains coming to town but he's not a sheriff yeah i was gonna like it's it's like roadhouse except in roadhouse patrick swayze rolls into town and solves all the problems whereas in this the villains roll into town and pierce brosnan has to solve the problems but um sadly yeah. doesn't rip anybody's like you know Oh God, that would have been so good. Or if he like shoved a, gu- a pint of Guinness up, you know, yeah, that would that would have been great. Well, it's like even the thing where he breaks the glass in the guy's hand. It's like so low. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't like you're kind of looking at it going. He, he's like, yeah, that was that was really painful, wasn't it? And you're kind of looking it's like at he's got a little minor cut. <laughs> it's like this little cut. It looks like something that would happen if you're, you know cutting a birthday cake and the knife slips or something it, it just i was jotting notes at the time so i didn't realize what he was doing i thought he was doing like some weird like you know martial arts moves that you read about you know like the uh, yeah. three finger death punch all that sort of thing yeah i thought it was like some weird like vulcan grip on his hands it was only when i rewound and went back i was like oh yeah he had a glass in his hand i mentioned uh the kind of england england englandification of a lot of the dialogue in this I've, I've written down just because we're talking about a, a scene set in a pub there's a scene in one of the other uh, one of the other scenes set in Frank Kelly's pub where one of the patro with the evil um, mob enforcer guy I can't remember his name he goes what do I owe you landlord now is that a thing that people say in in the UK do you call the barman a landlord quite possibly I've I've not been in a bar for a long time that that is not something we say in this country at all. I don't think I've ever heard it. It's something I imagine was possibly a thing on telly. Okay, yeah, it's just I hearing that was weird. The the, the other thing is when like when when they're doing the protest and they're walking through the little tunnel, and then um you know the the evil guy parks his car so they can't get through the tunnel, and poor old Frank Kelly is like, I say, sir, will you please move your vehicle? <laughs> If that was actually Wicklow, it would be like, for fuck's sake, would you move your bleeding car, me? You know, this. And again, you know, maybe they just had to sanitize it for they wanted to get the they wanted to get the yank bums in seats, which is, you know, that's fine. If you got to do it, you got to do it. It feels a little bit like the script was originally written for a small American town. And then they were like, just change the locations and a couple of the names. That'll do. If it wasn't for the fact it's based on a book. I'd assume that would be what happened. Part of me wonders as well, like, you know, obviously you mentioned United Artists, MGM, all that sort of stuff. I wonder, was it a case where they kind of had Pierce Brosnan or, or maybe maybe it was some sort of James Bond fallout thing. They were like, we want to keep the relationship sweet with Pierce Brosnan. So we're going to let him just do whatever he wants. Like we, we have Pierce Brosnan. We want to make a movie. Pierce Brosnan, what do you want to do? He says, I want to make, I want to make a, you know, a, a tense western thriller in 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 ireland and show off the beautiful island i'd I'd say that's what happened here he was like i want to make a film in ireland where i get to be the handsome hero now you go and figure it out and, the, and they, they came up with taff and they found these books they bought the rights cheap and they they made i i feel like maybe that's what happened 
I don't know. I'm not sure Pierce Brosnan had the pull at the time. <laughs> well, he was coming off Remington Steel, and the whole James Bond thing happened, and like he was. Yeah, gone. I'm not sure how hot Remington Steel was mm. outside of the Bond, you know, mystique surrounding it when he was cast for yeah. the brief sixty days that he was cast. But like, I mean, the the, the film probably only had a budget of. Like if it even if it even cost a million dollars, I doubt it did. Um, so like you know, it probably had a small budget. So a, you know, a big US TV star coming over making this cheap film. I don't know. It 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 feels like a a possible reason for why it exists is is all I'm saying. Yeah, I don't know either that or he made it and then took it to MGM and United Artists. I might check this out for me. <laughs> Is is the other possibility? Uh, but Actually, I don't know. I mean, eighties was a weird time because everybody was trying to get their action movie fix. I mean, it's an interesting idea to take an action movie and set it in Ireland. I mean, it's not really something you ever got in actually over here in England. Till like Hot Fuzz, I can't really think of any English out and out action movies, and even that's a comedy. Are, well, like, there's loads of Bond movies that have big action scenes in England, though. Yeah, I, I don't know. I always think of those as I don't of as American money. <laughs> and 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 um, sure, there's Marvel movies that uh, you know are, uh, you know, like Thor two has a big climactic scene in London, doesn't it? Yeah, but I'm talking like a purely UK set. Oh, we got we had a lot of thrillers, but not a lot of out and out action movies. What what about that um, Dave Batista one where he he finds a bomb in West Ham Stadium? Final score. Final score. <laughs> I've, I've still never seen it. it. It just looks like a remake of that Van Damme movie. I th- I think it literally is. It's just the yeah same thing, but it's it's uh... that's got Pierce Brosnan in it as well, hasn't it? Final score. Oh yes, it does. Does it does it play a <laughs> Russian in it or something? I think so. Again, I've not seen it. I've only ever seen the trailer and thought, yeah. <laughs> I, I know he plays he kind of plays quasi Jerry Adams in um the foreigner the the Jackie Chan one directed yeah. by Martin Campbell but um hmm yeah no I I do need to watch final score it, yeah it was one of those ones I was like I'll just watch hard target again I think yeah. no, not hard target it's um sudden death sudden impact isn't it sudden... or sudden death sudden, sudden death sudden yeah. impacts the dirty harry film Sudden Impact is Dirty Harry, yeah. What, yes. What's the one where Van Damme has has a twin and it's also played by Jean-Claude Van Damme? A double Impact. Double Impact, that's the one. And he does the splits in that one. Yeah, the, the differentiate is that one's got slick back hair and the other one's just got a boofy early 90s do. Are you, or are late doing, 80s, whenever it was. Are you doing an episode on Bloodsport? No, not in this run. Bloodsport's one of those weird ones. I don't know. I was trying to be strict on what I called yeah. action movies i mean this one's pushing it a little bit <laughs> yeah I, I i i do like Bloodsport. it feels like the actual street fighter movie that we never got yeah <laughs> as opposed to street fighter movie which is i mean it's a lot of things but it's not really a street fighter movie i don't think no it's uh, yeah again i vaguely remember enjoying it for what it was but it had no lasting impact on my life I've seen, uh, much like this film, unfortunately. <laughs> I've seen Street Fighter the movie more times than I care to admit, but yeah, I, w- I would agree to that completely. Um, it's enjoyable 90s shite, isn't it? It's, mm. But it's from that era, a bit like with comic book movies, where it's like, I'm grateful for whatever I can get. Yeah. 
<laughs> and 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 to be honest, that's kind of where I'm at with Taffin. Like it is yeah. a bad film. I I dislike it in many ways, but I am very grateful that it exists, and I'll take what I. Can oh, I, I love that they tried, and yeah. I love the model of the uh, toxic waste plant. That oh, kind of yeah. looks like somebody went down the model shop and was just like just glue this shit together. It's 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 a real kind of like poor man's uh, Goldfinger, you know, yeah. his plan for um for oh, I was about to say Silicon Valley, but that's a view. Fort Knox. Fort Knox. Yeah. yeah, it's that same thing, you know. Um, I know I was waiting for a guy to get shoved out the window because he didn't want to be involved in it or something. A chair to fucking slip away. I'll have no part in this caper. That's what the, that's what they would have said in Taffin if <laughs> if that guy had uh, been in this. Like I said, it's just such a weird model. I mean, once you get a better shot of it, it kind of makes sense. But when you just see it on there, it's like, this is like a Joe 90 cell or something. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry Anderson, not this dude, not Jerry Anderson. Um, yeah, it is Jerry Anderson, isn't it? Thunderbirds. Jerry Anderson is Thunderbirds yeah. and all that stuff, yeah. Actually, we're, I suddenly totally... thought I said Jerry Adams and just <laughs> we're to- gone we're completely to- different. We're going totally tangent time now, but have you ever watched Space Precinct? Yes, it used to be a staple on BBC Two. Yeah, that was that six was o'clock. Really I think actually... it was on Thursday evening. I want to say I I was a big fan of Space Precinct back in the day, and you know, if you had told me at the time that those were you know Thunderbird models, I would have been like, what? I thought <laughs> that all that stuff was completely real, and I I watched uh, a few episodes there recently. You know what? It's it's pretty charming. It's still it's still very watchable. Like. A, 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 a practical effect has a kind of a timelessness to it that you know it it will always be kind of interesting to look at even though it's not real whereas cgi dates like a strawberry from ballymore in county wicklow yeah i mean i'm a big 90s kid we're both lois and clark fans so yes there's there's a lot that you know you, you learn to just accept for what it is yes absolutely um, much like tough but Yes, yeah. All right, and so sort of wrapping up, I always like to ask about, uh, you know, should this film have had a sequel? Obviously, there were two more books. If they'd done a sequel, where would you like to have seen it go? I mean, Again, I'm not familiar with the plots of the follow-up books. <laughs> I mean, straight off the, off the top of my head, I would want to see them go to other interesting parts of Ireland. I think you could actually... Actually, Cork is a really cool place. Like, Dublin isn't a very interesting city to film. Like, it's... It's not it's not big enough to feel like a real city, but it's also not like rural looking enough to look like what people think Ireland is. So yeah. I I think Cork or Galway would be great settings for more kind of action hijinks. Um, just get a really good villain in there, like uh, you know Liam Neeson. He was not going to end at the time. He would have been cool, like him and maybe there's some IRA stuff that Tavern has to go and figure out. <laughs> I, I watched the um. The Miami Vice episode where Liam Neeson plays sexy Jerry Adams. Uh, yeah, I saw the post. You did. <laughs> oh my goodness, he's so good in it. Like, I'd love to see Taffin go up against him in, you know, just this really, you know, ill-advised movie about the troubles, you know, made, <laughs> written by an English screenwriter, you know, filmed in Ireland in the early 90s. That that would have been, that would have been something. It wouldn't have been good, but I would have loved to have seen that. And then maybe... His girlfriend is not Alison Duty this time. Maybe it's ooh, who else was Irish and was hot at that time? Brenda Fricker. Maybe he goes out with Brenda Fricker from My Left Foot. Yeah, there's a movie. And Home yes. Alone too. 
<laughs> she was hot at that time. As in, she was hot property, not... Yeah. Well, oh, well maybe she, she was a very handsome woman. She was, she was always casualty for me, but I remember her from. Was she in casualty? Yeah. I did not. Way back when, in the early days of casualty. Wow. And then she went on to become an Academy Award winner. Yeah. That's pretty well, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> you don't want to stay with casualty forever, unless well, yeah. you're the guy who played Charlie. I, th- I thought you were saying you tried to leave so many times. <laughs> God, casualty. Whenever I hear casualty, I just immediately default to the to the song. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Um, I don't know. I kind of think you could make a good version of this film. Yeah, definitely. I, I wouldn't be against a remake or like you know adapting it into a TV miniseries or something. I'm, I'm not sure how well it would play now, but yeah. I suppose yeah, it'd still play. It, it it's one of those things that like I don't know if we ever get past the uh, the infamous clip from this film the kind the kind of camp factor like is the source material so beloved that it deserves to be resurrected I don't know but definitely the the idea of like a kind of a hard boiled surly kind of contemporary western setting like there's definitely you know uh, room for more of those and you know we we have a really strong film industry in Ireland now like and you know we we make really good films here so it would be cool to see them try and do more sort of straight-faced kind of heroes and villains kind of action movie type stuff yeah um so definitely yeah like that that's as much as as much as a kind of interesting failure as I think this is I I definitely would have liked if it had been a series or if they tried more films like this in Ireland yeah you could give it the I don't know if you've ever seen Jack Irish the Guy Pierce Australian series where he's like a private detective um does i think they used to show it on fx over here but it's does, really good series but you could sort of give it that sort of taff in that sort of treatment i could see it working does he play an irish man in it no no he's australian okay. he's just thank called goodness. jack irish thank goodness <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry that's my number one rule like for every production ever do not cast an Englishman or an American actor to play Irish. They can't do the accent at all. Nobody can. The only person who has come close, um, well, there's a few people. Judy Dench did a passable job in that um, movie with Steve. Philomena. There are exceptions that prove the rule, but so many people have done terrible Irish accents in movies and enough is enough. We, we it, Again, it's one of those things that I think people think, you know, oh, it's just, you know. We can do... Perfect accents. Like, I, I, I'm sorry, we can. Like, plenty of Irish actors do impeccable English accents and American accents, but English people cannot do Irish accents. And plenty no. of English people can do perfect American accents. They can, they can do that really well. But, I, I, you know, Americans cannot do any accent as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think it's just one of those things that you know, people think they can do it. It's like... You watch Darby O'Gill and the Little People, or whatever it's called. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Sean, Sean Connery is a <laughs> masterpiece. But like Darby O'Gill is the example people always use. But like it's not just that. It's like if you look at even the Daredevil series, that the, there's there's all these Irish mobsters and that, and they just sound appalling. Like what are they? Yeah. You know, and I'm like, it's not like there isn't Irish actors in LA. Like there's plenty of them out there. I know people out in LA who are actors. Like it's like. Why are they not getting these roles? It's, yeah, it's such a bizarre thing, isn't it? You spineless bunch of walking wonders. Look at you. You needed him. 
because he could do what you couldn't do. Then you turn on him and leave him on his own to face that mob of psychopaths. All his life in this town. One of your own since he was a child. And where were you when he needed help? Where? Afraid of your own shadows. I couldn't find one set of balls between the lot of you. Yeah, I think we've pretty much exhausted time. We've probably given Taffin more time than it deserved. Than it deserves, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I know we went off on several tangents as well, but like I say, it's just, I, I'm, I'm assuming if people have listened this far, they've seen the film. It's free to watch on Amazon Freebie, or I'm pretty sure it, when I checked, it was up on YouTube, the whole movie. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend checking it out for yourself. Was your version 420, by the way, or, or um, yeah, the, the aspect ratio, was it? Did you yeah, know? it was, yeah, it was box, not 16.9. A strange decision. <laughs> Again. It just added to the thing that it felt like it was made for TV. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, if it didn't have Pierce Brosnan in it, although it's, again, I don't know, it just felt like it was a TV movie that got lucky. Or, or not, as the case may be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and the you know, the calibre of actors, Ray McAnally aside, and, you know, Patrick Bergen, he he went on to some, well, he went on yeah, to I think it was like his, one of his earliest parts, wasn't it? But, but, I quite like, I've always quite liked Patrick Bergen. Um, See the main things. I quite like the Robin Hood film he's in. It's not Prince of Thieves, but oh my goodness, I've got a I've got a super duper um, Patrick Bergen trivia to to drop on you right now, Stuart. Before we before we go, right? So, um, in the nineteen nineties, there was a series called Mystic Knights of Tirnanog. Are you familiar with this series? It rings a bell. So obviously Power Rangers was absolutely massive. And then there was other Power Rangers-esque shows. You had VR Troopers and Beetleborgs yeah. and all this stuff. They made this one called Mystic Knights of Tiernanog. It was a big Saban production. They came over yeah. to Ireland and made this weird Power Rangers-esque show about Irish mythology. So um, I, I, I won't bore you with the details of mythology, but effectively it was a Power Rangers type show set in medieval Ireland, right? Now, what happened was they put they pumped loads and loads of money into this, and then I think I, I think the toy sales didn't they, the toys didn't sell very well, or there was a, a deal with McDonald's that fell through, or some big deal fell through, and the show was underwhelming, and they decided to pull the plug. Right now, what happened was um, whatever production company was making Mystic Knights of Tiernan Oak, they had all this studio space booked. And they had all these crews and everything, and they didn't want to let all these people down, and they didn't want to lose a bunch of money. So they decided, right, we've got all these people ready to go to make a, you know, a TV show or whatever. Why don't we just, instead of sending everybody home with no money, why don't we make a movie with all this kind of crew and space and time that we have? So over the weekend, they got this script for a St. Patrick's, uh, St. Patrick TV movie. And they got Patrick Bergen on the phone and Patrick Bergen played uh, St. Patrick in this shitty TV movie. And it's all on YouTube. It's like the legend of St. Patrick or something like that. It was totally made for the American audience. It's really, really bad. But I just think it's hilarious that, you know, they went from Mystic Knights of Tiernan Oak to St. Patrick. And I believe that like there's actors from Mystic Knights of Tiernan Oak are in this St. Patrick movie. 
and like some of the costumes are carried over it's just pure it it's it, it reminds me of how that they were canon pictures were going to make a spider-man movie and a masters of the universe movie, <laughs> and then it all fell apart so they made this shitty van damme movie and they just threw all the costumes and sets into that like cyborg was supposed to be master universe 2 wasn't it yes absolutely and apparently there's like spider-man stuff in cyborg as well i don't know yeah but, uh, yeah i think because that was the sort of death nail of canon wasn't it <laughs> Anyway, my, my uh, one of my work colleagues worked on the Misty Noise Eternal and uh, the St. Patrick movie with Patrick Bergen. By all accounts, he's a gentleman. I've met him a few times. Really, really nice guy. Um, he's he's better in other stuff than he is in Taffin. <laughs> but uh, yeah, God bless him. Yeah, again, he doesn't have a lot to do in Taffin, really, is it? Like I say, I think it was one of his earliest roles, certainly one of his earliest feature film roles, if not his first feature film role. Um, but I do look at it and I think he would have been a good Taffin. <laughs> To think that he went on to play uh, Morgan Edge in Smallville after getting plastic surgery to completely change his appearance. Yeah, it was Rutger Hauer originally, wasn't it? It was Rutger Hauer originally, and then it became Patrick Bergen in a bizarre series of events. Yeah, and a weird thing where they brought him back for just that episode to kill him. I do not get what they were going for there. It's like, why bother? <laughs> it seemed like a lot of effort for nothing. I, I bet what they were trying to do was they were trying to pay homage to the Superboy show, which did something very similar. <laughs> that was Lex Luthor, didn't they? They did. They did do it with Lex Luthor, but that's a, that's a story for another day. That is, yeah. Uh, speaking of Superman, anyway, um, All-Star Superfan seems to be going strong. Uh... We are trucking along, yes. Uh, we have two more episodes in the can that are yet to come out we have one that i'm hoping to release very soon um all about the superman radio show uh from the north the kind of 1940s uh, in into the kind of early 50s it's a very very fascinating um thing that the radio show and that there was a there was an arc on it where superman goes up against what's called the clan of the fiery cross which were like a thinly veiled um nod to the ku klux klan yeah and uh, the, the really, really fascinating thing, re, read up on it if you haven't already. And um, we discussed that with Michael Bailey, who is kind of a bit of a legend among Superman fans. He's 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 been podcasting since podcasting was a thing. Um, so we did an episode with him. We also have an interview coming up with Marv Wolfman, who is just one of the icons of, of, uh, of, of comic kind of creators. So Yes, very much so. He very kindly took the time to, to speak to us about... Um, a, 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 a kind of obscure Superman cartoon he was a showrunner of in the in the late eighties, the Ruby Spears, the Ruby Spears one. I love yeah. the Ruby Spears one. It's good. Cool, that it? series. Yeah, I really like it. I, I can't remember what I watched it on. It must have been like Cartoon Network or something over here. But yeah, I adore that. And then when I found it was on DVD, I bought and binged it because yeah, it's the it's the John Byrne Superman on screen. It's the, John it's the closest Superman. we ever got. With kind of flavors of like the Christopher Reeve Superman, yeah. Well. Like the, the Clark Kent on that show is basically the Christopher Reeve version, and we we talk about it a lot on the show. Like it obviously isn't as high quality as the '90s animated series, but in many ways, I think it's more charming, and I think Alan agrees with me. Um, Again, I like the '90s series, but I prefer part, partly nostalgia and fond memories of the Ruby Spears one. But I just I don't know. I think the Superman animated series that Bruce Tim did was coming off the back of batman the animated series and it just never stood a chance there's lots of bits in that that i love mm -hmm. but um i love the kents in the superman the animated series but yeah 
say this I love the Ruby Spears. Like you say, it's it was like John Byrne and Christopher and some elements of Golden Age Superman as well. Yeah. Just you know, yeah. not the Golden Age Superman that was a bit of a dick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's 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 a super fun show, and we were delighted to um to chat to him about that. And and we well, I promise we're gonna have you on very soon. We're 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 trying to figure out a topic that would be best suited. So so get your thinking cap on and uh we, we if you if you ever want to do one on the um BBC radio Superman from the nine late eighties and nineties. There I'm your man. There we go. Perfect. We'll definitely do that because I have a lot of th- I I've listened to the Batman one like loads of times. I've only listened to the Superman ones once or twice, but they are fascinating. They're so I adore them. Yeah. I adore them. I I said to Alan, I came close to writing a book on it, but real life got in the way. And so it's on my back burner projects, but I'd lined up interviews with loads of people. And then unfortunately okay. something happened and <laughs> I, I was unable to do it, but it's still sort of sitting there on the back burner. We'll, we'll, we'll hundred um, percent do that then. That's, that's a great idea. I, I'm a huge fan. Of, I, I'd listened to 10 of those. They're really, really good. That guy, Dirk Mags. Yeah. Is, uh, did he do some oh, he's amazing. ones as well? He did. Yeah, he did Superman, Batman, Judge Dredd, Independence Day UK. Um, he's doing Sandman currently for Audible. He's done a couple of Alien ones for Audible. I think he did an X-Files one for Audible. Um, he did some Marx Brothers stuff for BBC Radio. I, I, I listened to a Judge Dredd one where Joseph Fiennes, of all people, was playing Judge Dredd, and it was it was an adaptation of the America storyline, and it was pretty good. It was I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, I'd, 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 I, I hope he gets his hands on DC stuff again because, well, you mentioned Sandman, but like, I'd love to hear more sort of Superman or Batman stuff because those are those are great fun. Like doing anything, do anything except Batman because there's been, I think there's been two Batman series this year alone. The, the two kind of audio drama ones. It's like yeah, I'm just sick of Batman. Yeah, I love definitely. Batman, but I'm bored of Batman. I yeah, I love Batman. I love the new movie and all that, but it's like, oh great, another really great Batman movie. <laughs> Could we have a really great Superman movie, please? That's it. It's kind of like, you know, we'll do a Batman movie. Let's we've done Batman enough. Let's do something Batman adjacent. Like Joker, Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Anyway. It's like it, it's fine, but but yeah. Um so yeah, um like I say, All Star Superman, I'll put the link on. You popped up recently on Lois and Clark as well. Yes, uh, I did. Uh, we we did an episode on the season four premiere, um, where it's it's kind of the plot of Superman two ish. The other Kryptonians come to Earth, try to take over. There's a big hullabaloo. Superman fights uh, the General Zod type character, Lord Nor, at the end. It's one of my favorite episodes, and I I drop a really hot take. <laughs> I drop a couple of hot takes in that one actually. Um, I'm also coming up on an episode where we talk about the atrocious. Uh, Drew Carey episode of Lois and Clark uh, where there's a haunted house or something. Uh, yeah, I think that was around the time I fell off. Yeah, I didn't watch all of season four until it came out on DVD and then I rewatched it because I think it weirdly went to Sky over here and then BBC got it slightly later and was showing it on a Saturday morning instead of in the evening. I might be mixing things up, but by that point I was kind of like, I, it, I can't anymore. It, it it definitely lost its way in the fourth season. I I think there's a there's a really good Tempest two parter. The um, new Krypton stuff is great, and uh, the, the, then the, the, there's a couple of kind of like decent one and done episodes. There's um, an episode with a guy called from Melrose Place called Sex Lies and Videotape that was pretty good. There's another one called Stop the Presses, 
where Lex Luthor has yet another son. And uh, and then there's kind of like a weird three-part arc where Lex Luthor's son tries to kidnap Lois or something. I yeah. They, and there's an invisible... Those man. ones just reminded me of that Beauty and the Beast series that had Ron Perlman in it from the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, it's that kind of vibe. It's like sort of Phantom of the Opera type thing. It's Yeah, it's... I don't know. Say, you got a first couple of series you felt like they'd at least glanced at the comics by that point yeah. they were just kind of like comics ew <laughs> who needs these yeah um no it's a lot of fun we, we we love that show and and matt very kindly asked me to be part of and alan to be part of a table read of tempest fugitive uh, which is kind of the it commonly regarded as the best episode of the show and i'm going to get to play hg wells which i'm super excited about and it's particularly funny because my girlfriend hates those episodes and hates hg wells so it's it's particularly kind of apt that i get to play him <laughs> I, I have mixed feelings on those episodes but i'm really looking forward to the table read it's just a shame you pitch an episode that had no perry in it yes you, you don't get to bust out your lane smith i really i yeah i i loved <laughs> i i just i i mentioned in that episode as well i want to write a lane smith spin-off series called all shook up the new adventures of perry white and jimmy olsen where they set up the suspicious minds detective agency um so if i ever get around to that Stuart, you're welcome to a role um i've done i've kind of done a rough plot outline but uh that's as far as it gone but um yeah i i, I have a lot of time for lane smith is, is this the one where they end up in hawaii with dan scardino that's that's the one dan scardino what are you doing here <laughs> <laughs> are we going to have new sexy adventures each and every week? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Dan Scardino. How are we talking Poor about bastard. Lane Smith in a Taffin podcast? <laughs> There's always room for Lane Smith. <laughs> but awesome, man. Cheers for doing this. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, take care. And on Black I'll put all the links in the show notes where people can find you and the pod and all that stuff. Thanks, man, Stuart. You're quite a survivor. I want you to clear my name. I want you to tell him that it wasn't me that burnt Martin and his house. Now, why should I do that? Because I'll kill you if you don't. Taffin, you're a fool. Attention, please. Airport Express is now loading at doorway number 14. Be cool, Charlotte. Be cool. That was Tuffin. And why not? I'd like to thank Rob for joining me on the episode to talk about the film. Be sure to check out the All-Star Superfan podcast wherever you get your podcasts or by checking the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and be bothered to do so, please give the episode a share and tell all your friends about it. And why not give the series a follow or subscribe over on Acast or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or don't, it's up to you. If you've missed the Summer of Action special episodes or any And Why Not episodes so far, you can find them on our podcast channel over on Acast or on our website at hauntednerds.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you like looking at lists, we have an And Why Not list over on Letterboxd as well. As I said in the intro, this episode brings our 80s action movies to a close. But join us back here in two weeks when I'll be joined by Ross Beamish 
to head into the world of 90s action movies and go from an actor before he was Bond to an actor after he was Bond, as we discuss, The Rock. Until then, this has been a Nose of Hunt Themselves production, and I've been Stuart Moraine. Thanks for listening, and remember, as long as you live in here, what goes on this town is your business. Then maybe you shouldn't be living here!